Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, I, uh, I wondered if anybody was going to come tonight, given the topic. <laughs> but thank you for being the, uh, the diehards, the stalwarts, the, I don't know, the pusher-throughers, the high achievers, the, uh, and you probably don't know what the topic is tonight. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> But yeah, I appreciate you being here. And uh, again, we got some some cookies up there. There's some coffee. There's some water. Feel free to to get what you want there. Get what you need. Uh, if you want to pop some popcorn, there's some in the in the kitchen as well. Um, our our building is uh, under going under a renovation here soon. They they they're they're gonna in the next week I think or two they're gonna strip this floor, the concrete. Uh, and make it match the new floor in there. Uh, when we when we get ready, we're gonna we'll open this fire door, and this fire door will stay open permanently, and ex- except of course in case of fires or emergencies. Uh, but so that 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 part out there needs to match that in here, so that they're starting to rip up some of the carpet, and so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how things flow in the coming months. And uh, I don't know how much longer we'll be in this little room here, and when we'll transition over there, or maybe we'll have to come up with some other uh, system, but you know, you know, moving into a new house, so to speak, it's takes some adjustment and we'll see how that plays out. So appreciate you guys being flexible. And uh, uh, it was kind of funny mops this morning. They, they had like pastel colors, like pinks and blues and the yellow fit in perfect. <laughs> so it was, uh, they, they did really well. But uh, <clears throat> so yeah, tonight we're, uh, everybody get a sil- syllabus or uh, uh, outline in tonight's I think everyone's got one. Everybody's got a book, I think, that wants one. <laughs> yeah, we are talking about uh, inerrancy tonight. And uh, when you hear inerrancy, uh, I mean, when you first saw the topic, did anything come to mind? Good, bad, or ugly? Or is it is it a scary word for you? Is it a is it a a word that you gets you excited about talking? I mean, tell me any kind of thoughts. Yeah, Jeanette. There were several arguments that were presented that um, you could have a variety. So that was that was really good. Good, good. Hey guys, So you felt like uh, some of the, the topics he, he discussed were, were relevant to yeah. some of the things you've heard? Yes, absolutely. Good, good. Anybody else have any? Uh, the topics that covered in this chapter that, that you found were relevant or were, were or do you usually run into things that are that weren't part of this chapter in terms of the problems with the Bible or whatever? Oh, yeah. Have the, a lot of, sorry, I'm talking too much. Maybe. Just tell me to be quiet. I will. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like I've had a lot of people say, I have a hard time believing in the Bible because... It was written by men. Oh. And, uh, or um, how 
how could you believe that it's inerrant when it's been passed down through so many generations? And you know, they use the analogy of telephone, the game telephone, and it gets changed from person to person. And so how do we know for sure that this is real, you know, and, and how can I believe in something that this is what people say. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, how can I believe in something that has potentially so many errors in it? That's right. That wasn't covered necessarily. Yeah, thank you. Kim and I are talking about the very same thing. We encountered the same thing. There's a person I work with. That's our biggest hang up, because it was written by different men. It's like I told her, I told Kim, I said, they all come from the same source. They get their information from the same source. The Holy Spirit is telling these people that wrote it what's right. I'll make time to do those questions. That's the biggest hurdle a lot of them. I mean, if they don't believe in God, the Holy Spirit said, that's really a trip for them. But he's the one that's inspired all these people. It's one single source. <laughs> so that, that that question about who who wrote it, we we go back to the the divine authorship. Right. Is what the important point, not what men wrote it or what women didn't write it or what what age or what culture, what society, uh, what what's the divine source? And that was really last week. Do you guys have a book? Yeah. 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 You got your book in. Yeah. This one. No, you gave me this one. Okay. That I owe you for this one. Okay, sweet. And uh, we, we're taking a test on that book next week. Yeah. So there. Let me uh, open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to know that uh, every every word of God is true. Help us to uh, grasp the importance of this topic and help us to, uh, Lord, we, we, uh, when we come to the topic like this, often we feel so small and there's so many arguments out there and so many questions out there and how could we possibly answer all the, all the um, things that people have in their minds, all the, all the, the challenges they, they bring to us. And Lord, we, we know that we, we, we can't in and of ourselves. And uh, Lord, thank you for all the resources throughout the church and church history and all the, all the great resources we have to, to use in this, in this topic. And, and, uh, uh, but, but help us personally come to the conviction that your word is true and would never say anything false. Uh, help us to build our lives on your word, Lord. Help us to, to, to trust your word and, and live by your word. Uh, give us uh, grace in, in our faith, our belief, our doctrinal beliefs. Give us grace in, in, in hearts for practicing the faith, Lord, and, and make us men and women that uh, glorify you in all that we say and do in our lives. So, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, please be in the midst of this class tonight. If there's anything that comes up that's not on the outline that you want to bring up, Lord, we certainly invite you to, to lead and guide this class. But if there's things that we uh, we need to talk about that, that I, I haven't thought of or, or Grudem hasn't thought of yet, maybe, Lord, direct us in that path for for our edification, our growth, and in, in our, our maturity in Christ. Uh, yeah, we love you, Lord, and please, uh, as we go on through the night, please uh, keep us safe going home, and may, may the roads stay safe, and if people are still driving here, uh, give them grace to get here safely. 
I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so I got the uh, the topic of, of this inerrancy. Um, I've got so many questions, but let me let me just start off with: uh, Did did you have any any questions that really you wanted to come tonight and say, "This is what I want answered. This is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to dive into." Anything specifically that that uh, I want to make sure we, we address? Yeah, Jeanette again. <laughs> Just Jeanette again. I know people think that's my last name. Um, I think. Um, one of the things that really has been bugging me is um, the teaching of evolution in the schools and how that goes, basically what that's saying is that there wasn't a God that went boom, here you are, here's man, you know. And um, there's no real proof for it, um, but I'm a younger person and there, I don't know, there's, I think it's really important to believe everything right from the very beginning, just as it's written. And, and sometimes, you know, a lot of people say, well, scientific evidence shows that, but then on the other side, the creation people, you know, young earth people say, well, scientific evidence shows that there was possibly a young earth, you know, so. That's, that's yeah, it's a minor doctrine, probably. Well, uh, no, but it's an important topic because we all ask that question. Yeah. yeah. We all, you know, whether it's uh, minor or major in terms of how it plays out in our salvation, that's yeah. one thing. But it's a very interesting topic and something we want to address. It, it does it does pertain to the truthfulness of God's word. Right. And so it is something we we need to address. So we will definitely get to that topic in this yeah, this course for sure, for sure. But it, it does it does open up the question, you know, do, what do we believe about about the Bible? Does it does it teach it, does it teach what's true? But but then it opens the, the question of interpretation. You know, uh, what what what? How do you interpret some of these things uh, rightly? Is the old saying is rightly dividing the word? You know, so there's a ton of questions there and a ton of uh, information we want to look at. But we will definitely. Definitely get there. Uh, we'll spend a few nights for sure on that topic because it's fascinating. Yeah. And, and we all, our kids are going to ask us this question and people we know are, are talking about it. And what do you Christians believe about that? So we, we do need to go there for sure. How about, you know, uh, in terms of the, the, the Bible's errancy or inerrancy, Any, anything that you really were chomping at the bit to discuss You don't have to have anything, but just in case, you, I, I don't want to bypass your heart there, so. I, yeah, I mean, Tiffany. I don't know, to be honest, I didn't even read this chapter this time. But um, as far as that goes, it's hard with the Mormon community. You know, they, they I'm sure they have questions, but then they go off one man's word, opposed to all this of people that put the Bible together and it just it fascinates me in a sad way that they are so set on what one guy says opposed to what all these people in the Bible have said you know so the authority of the word that's a huge part of that that discussion why why are the LDS scriptures 
uh, at what level are they authoritative compared to the Bible? And how do they how do they look at that? Do they see the Bible on the same level, or do they put the prophet at a higher level? Yeah. They they put the prophet at a higher level. Well, they do. Yeah. They obviously don't agree with everything the Bible says, but they will agree with everything that the Book of Mormon says. So I feel like they definitely put more stock in those books. Yeah. So that chasing that question is why why would we say? the Bible is more authoritative or is the authoritative source and why would we say the LDS scriptures are not authoritative? Fascinating question. And I, he addressed some of that in, in chapter 4 um, but there's uh, and I think there's some resources there that are listed too that you could dive in and I've got I've got some books you probably got some books yeah so um, yeah. One of the things that so I have a, a my partner that I work with um, he saw this book on my desk tonight he, so he's an atheist. He's, we've had conversations about what he believes, what I believe. Um, and he saw this book on my desk and was asking me about it tonight. And I was telling him a little bit what I read. Um, and he says, well, it says right there that there's, you know, stuff taken out or this and that. I said, that's not what it's saying at all. I said, he says, well, you know, it says that Jesus said this. And I said, well, if you read through this, you know, it talks about like indirect quotes and direct quotes and in when they wrote it, there wasn't like the same um, punctuations that we have now. And I said, that's, I mean, that's the difference between the two. And so even that got him a little bit, bit intrigued on. <laughs> so we have some good, um, not arguments, but debates, I would say. So, and it's challenging me to like, you know, dive in a little bit more to challenge him more. This was a good chapter for him to read. I know, and then he started reading the first paragraph, he's like, uh, I'm going to call it quits. <laughs> 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 so, no, it's, it's good, though, because that's helping me explain some things to him a little bit, too, by doing this. So. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. Don't. That's right where I had a problem. Uh, the only place I had a problem in this chapter was where he talks about quil quotes. Greek didn't have any quotation marks. The Bible is absolutely full of quotation marks. There's a tremendous number of quotation marks, and I've often wondered, how do they know that's exactly, exactly what he said? Because they put it in quotes. Mm -hmm. We've put it in quotes. We've put it in quotes. We've put it in quotes. Yeah. Did you get a satisfying answer to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, moving right along. <laughs> No, uh, that's uh, we'll we'll hit that for, for sure. I, and I think we could go, um, yeah. Uh, let me get my right place here. Get in the right chapter. I'm a chapter ahead. I better get back to where we are. Um, that uh, that on page 87. Uh, getting to Don's question, if you have your your book, on page 87, number two. Uh, there's a couple paragraphs there that, uh, that I think are, are helpful, you know. Um, the second paragraph, written Greek at the time of the New Testament had no quotation marks or equivalent kinds of punctuation. And an accurate citation of another person needed to include only a correct representation of the content of what the person said, rather like our indirect quotations. It was not expected to cite each word exactly and and just I, I put up a representation here of uh, of something like that um, and and again forgive me for my my handwriting or lack thereof 
But uh, these, if you can imagine, uh, if, if I was trying to think, how do I put Greek or how do I put Hebrew down on the board in a way that maybe, maybe represents what he's talking about. And so I, I tried to write up here every letter in capitals. It, say this is Greek, okay? Like I've got, a, I've got a Greek New Testament in my office where the editors have done the work of putting in punctuation. They've, put, they've done the work of, of typesetting in a certain way that I'm used to reading. But, but the Greek text, you would imagine it just again, just this is a, a approximation. It's not, I mean, you can look at a Greek interlinear and you can see how it's laid out a little bit, but even that's edited. Even that's a, a translation. So capital letters, and so imagine all like, our, our, our way of, of saying things, you know, like we start off the sentence with a capital and then in, you know, and then, then we just kind of keep rolling with, with a lowercase in the beginning like that. But imagine you go to the a text and it's, it's, it's all capital letters and there's no punctuation. Uh, so this one, this, this one in green is kind of representative of Hebrew. There, there's no vowels in it. Yeah. Okay, there's no there's no commas. There's no uh, there's some some vowel, there's some markers in the in the Hebrew that little little marks that show you uh, the certain vowels and things. But if you if you weren't a, a Hebrew reader, you wouldn't know that. So, like, can anybody read that? Adding the vowels. I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a big crazy mystery, but in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. So. Uh, it is. It's really interesting. Like so, you can imagine uh, 50 lines of this. Okay, and imagine you're 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 charged with copying it exactly. And and like imagine a thousand lines of this. And and my and my handwriting's bad, but but some of the early scribes, like there there's there's some seasons in 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 Jewish history where they had professional scribes uh, in the early church. Oftentimes they didn't have the, the, the high-paid representatives of the church doing it. They had bad handwriters. <laughs> so a, 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 a thousand lines of this, you're probably going to make some errors. Okay, so you had to have some checks and balances in place. Like the Hebrew, and the, even the Greek, uh, you, you need some like, you need some proof texting, you need someone to read your manuscript, you need, you need some... So they had, all, they had a bunch of checks and balances in place to make sure that it was as much without error as possible. But even, even in that case, um, things would creep in. But uh, to Don's point, what, what he's talking about there on, on page 87, the content, uh, a, a correct, correct representation of the content does not uh, imply that we have to have all the the perfect punctuation, or that it's an exact quote, which is fascinating. Like, can you think of some long quotes of Jesus in the New Testament? Uh, uh, we're we're uh, like Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, like chapters 5 through 7. And, and we think that Matthew reproduced that. Uh, you know, it's, it's Jesus' sermon. There's some, some people that don't believe that God could superintend that process or that the, the Holy Spirit could inspire Matthew to, to get it right. But what Grudem is saying here is it can be, uh, as long as the content is correct, there, there might be some things that, that Matthew is a little bit loose on. Which is, you know, a little bit, 
it could be a little disconcerting, you know, uh, if, if you, if you, but, but Grudem is saying we can still say it's inerrant without having, you know, uh, uh, what, what in the previous chapter, what did Grudem say? How do we know we've got uh, uh, the correct quote of Jesus? Well, uh, do, do you remember how he explained the process of inspiration? Why, why do we believe that Matthew 5 through 7 is, is accurate? Not because Matthew was so great, but be, because the Holy Spirit guarded the process and, and carried Matthew to, to bring, remember John 14 through 16? Uh, God brought to remembrance everything that Jesus said, the, the kind of the promise that the Holy Spirit will be with you and, 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 and guide you into the truth. So... How much, you, how much do you think their like their culture and their occupation played into whatever their inflection was when they wrote some of this? Okay, I, mean, I don't you know. Look if, at, you, you, got, you got fishermen and you got tax collectors. And yeah. People that are running with you know, with different groups of people, and, and some groups have slang that the other ones don't. I mean, it's it's just. Different communication. It's it's all their it's all their language, but they they just communicate with each other a little bit different. For and sure. I don't know how much of that may have played into play, how they were to go off and stuff. Well, uh, and that that's really good too. Uh, in number three, there the the grammatical construction. It's going to be different for different folks. Well, you know, I think God was gracious that He allowed four different people to write the Gospels. Yep. So. It, could get to, maybe oh, yeah. one gets to be more than another one. Everybody's does. got a different outlook. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely, for sure. I think it's kind of like there was a four corners and there's a burning building and an observer at each corner. Mm -hmm. Everybody would see something different or report it. Different. Yeah. Even though it's the same thing. Amen. Just like in any of our stuff that we've done, I mean, Anytime we get a, I get a report or written statement, it's different from each person at the same scene. Mm -hmm. I saw something different. <clears throat> they said something different. You know, I mean, it's just about perception, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I asked my partner, he's asking me about the quotations and stuff, about why isn't it all in there? Why are they saying that, you know, it's missing of what, missing, supposedly missing parts in there that Jesus said. I said, well, do you put everything that everybody tells you in your summer in your report? No. Well, no. It'd be three pages long. Well, why don't you? What if you're? Yeah, is that false? Yeah. 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 What if, is that falsifying information at the point? Well, well, no. It's all in there. Well, how do we know that? That well. So that was good. I, I think I won that argument. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But, Amen. The pastor, how does that fit into versions of the Bible? Like, so for example, you know. Um, we were buying Bibles for our boys a few years ago, and my mother-in-law went into their local bookstore in the little town that she lives in, and the lady behind the counter said, "Well, I'll send you, I'll sell you an NIV because that was at the time that was the common Bible that we were using." She said, "But I won't sell it to you in version after 2011 because there's some there's some verbiage in there. It wasn't that they necessarily referred to God as a woman, but they changed it to where it was like a universal." Uh, reference instead of like he all the time and so forth and so if you're a non-believer and you're walking into something like that i mean it's all god's word but there's like paul and i talk about that like the king james version you know we talk about when we talk about the ten commandments and so forth or some of those kinds of pieces in there. so how does how does one discern if one 
is, I mean, other than counting on that Holy Spirit intervention and that kind of thing, how does that plan? Oh, there's there's a lot going on in my mind with that. Is <laughs> that a rabbit trail? Well, uh, so I several versions I study from, and they all say something a little bit differently. It's how does it, speak, like you were saying, it's how does it speak to me in that moment, with the hope that it's all with the same meaning. <laughs> so, so the uh, the the easy, you know, the starting place is the different translation strategies. Mm-hmm. I think is that kind of where you're going? Sort of, yeah. Uh, I mean, like for example, I have a, I have a Bible that I bought. It's called the Voice. Okay. And it's I would never use it as like a reference for everybody, but it's a really interesting version because it is literally written as a storybook. It is the Bible in story format, like if it was written by an outside author. And just some of the things, like the way that they, but if you go to the actual scripture, it's just so, like the scripture itself might be muddied, and this is a little just different piece of that. So yes, the meaning is the same, but when you're trying to explain to maybe an atheist or someone like that, and you're recommending something like that, Mm -hmm. Are we safe in? Well, uh, so just on a very general level, uh, a lot of Bibles, they're, they're either trying to be very literal with the original text or, the, or they're trying to get the idea in the context correct. And so there's variations there. Um, I, I think uh, the, the security we have in, in knowing that we do have the Word of God is, is on page 92. Uh, it related to what you're talking about, um, we have no inerrant manuscripts, therefore talk about in an, an inerrant Bible is misleading. And, and I, I, I think what uh, I, I'd say just, it's, he's on a little bit different topic here than, than what we're talking about, but in the second paragraph, it may be stated that for over 99% of the words of the Bible, we know what the original manuscript said. Even for many of the verses where there are textual variants, uh, that is, different words and ancient copies of the same verse, the correct decision is clear. And there are very few places where the textual variant is both difficult to evaluate and significant in determining the meaning. The small, and, and it goes further, in a small percentage of cases where the significant uncertainty about what the original text said, the general sense is that the sentence is usually quite clear in the context. And that really narrows down our, our trust in, in the Bible. Whatever, whatever translation we have. So then it becomes a question of, of, um, of manuscripts, uh, the, the manuscript question. And so I, don't, I can't remember if he got into it a little bit, but just, just so, uh, did I, did I, I think I, I wrote it out here somewhere. Uh, I don't want to get too far uh, ahead. But um, so on, on like the fourth page, uh, the thir- third page, the bottom of the third page, one, two, three. The, the written manuscript errors, or that's the claim that there's written, written trans, transmission errors. And, and just, I think this, this would be helpful on a, just to think manuscripts, uh, what we're talking about manuscripts, he brought the term up in his text, ancient documents that are written by hand. And so we don't have the original, original manuscripts. We have copies, and you can just, just if you imagine just this simple copying technique, um, we, we don't have any of the, the original ones, but we have lots and lots of copies by hand, especially when it comes to the New Testament uh, manuscripts. And if you, if you jump down to the manuscript comparison, little dot there, 
how many manuscripts do we have? The more you have, the easier is to verify and reconstruct the original. So complete copies of the Old Testament, we have more than 200 with 8,000 partial copies. Uh, in, in, in the copies of the New Testament are more than 5,000 with 13,000 partial copy, co copies. And I've got a little chart in the back of this handout that, that discusses that a little bit. But I guess what I'm getting at is we've got all these manuscript uh, schools or all these, man like, like we, we have, uh, say, we, we have uh, Alexandria, Egypt down here. So this is Africa, you know, here's, you know, the continent up here. So maybe over here in, uh, in Rome, they're, they're making copies, they, uh, you know, my map is terrible, but just so you'll get it, maybe Constantinople in Turkey up here, and, and maybe, you know, say Jerusalem over here somewhere, uh, you know, Egypt down here, and then maybe over in uh, Libya, um, so they got all these schools that are copying things. And so they're all trying to copy the same thing. In the beginning, the word was God. So they're copying, they're copying, they're copying. And uh, so at this point in history, like 1900 years of the New Testament, we've got all these manuscripts. And this, this process that's called textual criticism, the, there's a bunch of super nerds that study languages all the time. Nerdville is where they live, okay? And uh, they, they, they've got, they've got all, all these high-tech tools, all this high-tech where they, they can match up all these ancient manuscripts and they can see all the little variations within each copy. So if you've got 3,000 copies of the Gospel of Mark or whatever, they, they put it in the computer. And, and just so you know, a textual variant um, is... Mistakes like uh, spelling a word differently, accidentally skipping a word or a line, copying the same line twice, normal mistakes in handwriting to be found throughout manuscript tradition, traditions. Uh, so we've got all these manuscripts, all, all these manuscripts. And the beautiful thing about today's translations is that we have such a wealth of different manuscripts that it's, it's, it's so much easier today to tell where the errors are by comparison. So for instance, like the King James Version, uh, when was that written again? 1611. 1611. The, the, the King James is a beautiful version. It's, it's uh, so elegant and, and majestic in when you read it. It's like it's, reading mud. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's got, the, the, the downside, it's got some ancient English that we don't use anymore. But some of the deals with, with the King James Version, they don't, they don't have all the manuscripts available that we do now. Okay, And so we've got more manuscripts to compare things. And, and so we, the modern translations, I, I think it's safe to say, have, have a, a surer word of God than the King James, just because of this, this process of textual criticism. And what I mean by that is that maybe the King James Version, they, they only used a certain grouping of manuscripts. And, and so the, they didn't have the, the, the tests that we have today. So in Rome, in Constantinople, Jerusalem, Egypt, Libya, or the different, the different other places where the nerds gathered to, to copy the text, you know, they, they would come up with different... So in the beginning was the Word of God. 
Okay, and again, no punctuation in, in the Greek, no, no stylized, italicized, nothing. So you had to know Greek really well, okay, back in the day when you're translating this. Beginning with the word was God. So maybe Rome says, okay, that's what it says. And then in the beginning, the word was God. Maybe Constantinople agreed with them. But then, then the copyists, you know, in Jerusalem, they said, in the beginning, the word was God's. Okay, maybe, maybe uh, the, the, the copyist just made a slight little error there. Okay, it's different, but we don't know. Maybe this is the accurate translation. Maybe this is the accurate translation. Okay, but then, but then in the beginning, the word was an emanation from God. That's by Libya, okay? They, they've radically changed it compared to the first three. In the beginning, a word was God. Okay, so maybe there's a little, just a little slip there or something. And imagine if you have 3,000 copies. <laughs> and, and, and as you're examining all these things, like, you know, some of you police officers and, and some of, maybe there's lawyers here, or maybe engineers who are looking very closely at the details, you know, <laughs> as, you, as you look at things very, very closely, a pattern emerges. emerges where you could, you could say, maybe, maybe the, the copyist uh, maybe he made a little slip here, right? But this, this guy, or the, this, this school of, of, of interpreters, that's a real big difference. You know, in English, we know that's a, that's a difference. And so, uh, over time, as you look at the different, the different paths that, they, that, that the copies came in, the manuscripts came in, certain things were obviously, you could rule them out. You know, that's, that's probably not right. And then, so you have, there's some that are a little bit questionable. You know, uh, a little bit questionable that, so you go a little bit farther. As we compare 3,000 of these copies, which, one, which ones are the older manuscripts? We're meaning the more original ones, closer to the original? You know, how many copies are there? Et cetera, et cetera. You start putting all kinds of criteria to, to, to figure it out. And so I guess one answer to your, to your question is, is that what we have today through this process is we can be very sure that the translations that are coming out now are solid. Because there isn't, there isn't a question that hasn't been dealt with. There isn't a variant that hasn't been examined, you know, for a long, long time by all the nerds. Okay? And, and so we can be very confident. Now, when it comes to translation preferences or styles, you know, I think the, those committees that look at it, uh, if they go the, the dynamic equivalency route or the formal equivalency route, like is it, is, it really, is it really literal or is it more idea by idea, word by word, idea by idea, we can be very confident either way we're, we're getting the content correct. Um, can I give an example? Please. Um, if you read... 1 Samuel 3.19, in any of the translations that tend to be more word for word, it would say, God did not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. I read that, I had no idea what it meant. I looked it up, I looked it up in ESV, uh, NIV, and then I got around to one called the Christian Standard Bible, which isn't literal, but it, they pay more attention to understandability, making sure that you understand what the Bible means. The CSB said, um, God fulfilled all of Samuel's prophecies. Didn't let any of his words fall to the ground, meant that he fulfilled all of his prophecies. I found that tremendously helpful. Amen. So sometimes word for word, 
Words mean different things in different contexts. We don't have an English word for every Greek and Hebrew word. Anyhow, words change in their meaning over time. There are some real disadvantages to word-for-word -word translations. I prefer them. I like them, ESV and... and um, New American Standard. New American, the New King James, mm -hmm. are, are, are excellent. But if I want to understand something, I'm a little more likely to understand it in the NIV or the, or the Christian Standard Bible. Mm -hmm. No question in my mind. Yeah. So if I don't understand something from my literal translations, it's nice to have some that aren't quite so literal that are going to make the meaning a little more apparent to me. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Did, did, is that understandable to everybody? Mm -hmm. So we've got all these great translations. And, and if, if you have five different versions and you can compare them, uh, you're going to get the Word of God, <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a one, we're, we're living in a wonderful, great time of history. You know, I, we don't have to doubt whether we... I think that's the summary of the chapter, is we don't have to doubt that we have the Word of God. And, and it's... it's uh, uh, yeah, it affirms all that's true. Um, Oh, if there's a uh, so he's saying if there, you're on the bottom of page 102 in the in the the note down below. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's saying if, if there's uh, if there's uh, some of these passages that are difficult, some of these study Bibles provide kind of solutions for them or explanations for them. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, so then, having different different versions and study versions and stuff like that's not really a bad thing. Then to no, do, not at in all. In a sense, yeah. Because, like she was saying too, I've heard stuff where there's they say certain years of you know maybe even certain authors that you you have to be careful of who's writing them because their translations becomes more worldly or you know stuff like that and you know you do you get concerned because I was going through a little bit of that with my children and we stick with the new king just thinking like you said closer to the original doctrine but then you know it kind of goes you know right out the back door so yeah Don gave a great summary there yeah. Yeah. the word for word is is you know but then you can get more of the the uh, okay so what maybe you're getting to there Tina is uh translations and then there's paraphrases mm -hmm. that really kind of pull away from the translations a little bit in, in order to try to explain things really well. So a, a, par, you know, a, a paraphrase that came out in the 60s and 70s, I think, was the li Living Translation, Living Bible, right? And they've come up with a, now they have a new living, now they call it translation. But really, if you read it, there's a lot of explanation there that comes from a certain uh, interpretive school. <laughs> if I can use that. So, but, but boy, sometimes they really explain it in our language. That's the other thing about having multiple translations too, is that our language is constantly changing. So something from a hundred years ago, they're, they're not going to catch the, the equivalency to our, our language today. You know, it's, it's really helpful to have up-to-date translations. So, so like, why does the NIV keep updating their translation? Why does the New King James come up with, you know, uh, updated translations because they're trying to keep the, the language as close to uh, understandable as possible in our, in our vernacular. Yeah. 
But then is it true that something like what they would say to you that there, there is certain ones that are published that aren't safe for you to well, get into? Like like she's saying, like when you're not a believer or you're learning. Sure, yeah, yeah, like like the voice, that's that's probably... I would never use that as a, as a solid base for anything. It's, <laughs> it's exactly what you're talking about, the NLT and some of those kinds of things. It's a nice thing to add, but... Yeah, stick, yeah. stick with the, the, the most common translations. Okay. And you're you're on solid ground, but then but then if you want to try to get a little bit of uh, maybe go a little bit farther with something, and, and you, you can look at these other paraphrases. Yeah. As long as you stick within the the good boundaries that are there. Yeah. Well, that, I was just gonna say I have a friend back in where we moved here from that is using something very similar to the voice with a couple of her friends as a book club. Oh. And so. They're reading it because these ladies have no background at yeah. all. And to throw a Bible at them, it's just over their head. But to come together and read the book and just kind of get, <coughs> to get the flow of the scripture of the Old Testament. And then she pulls in things from the scripture if they have questions. And she can say, well, in the Bible, this is what mm. it says. But it's, it's just another way of... Yeah, great strategy of getting exactly. people exposed to the word. And then they, she can take them deeper. Yeah. Well, we also have a, a friend that's a Wycliffe translator. So just think about this. He's dealing with a primitive culture in the Philippines. They have no idea most of these things that are mentioned in the Bible. So you have to think, how do I explain this to them in a way that's understandable? So there's a lot of opportunities for, I mean, I, th I think that's what some of the authors or paraphrases are trying to do. Trying to take things that maybe you didn't understand or is out of a culture that you didn't really fully appreciate and, and add some understanding to it. But it's not the sole thing you want to be relying on. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Well said. One quick word about gender neutrality. Yeah. It's taken a bad rap, particularly the NIV 2011. Here's an example. Psalm, I think it's 119 or 119. They all say, how shall a young man keep his way pure? Nothing wrong with that. But the, but the gender-neutral NIV says, how shall a young person stay on the path of purity? I read that, I thought, man, my granddaughters would get a lot more out of that yeah. than how shall a young man keep his way pure? Uh -huh. How shall a young person stay on the path of purity? There's something to be said for taking all those he's and him's out of that and using more gender-neutral pronouns, which makes it far more applicable to women. Now, my wife is, doesn't worry about that, and I think most of the women here probably don't. But there are people in this world who are more feminist, and, and I think it's uh, I think a gender-neutral Bible is a whole lot more uh, appealing to them. Especially in the areas where that pronoun, it can be in, in, translated either well, way. Brothers and sisters, brothers often means brothers and sisters. It should have been translated as brothers and sisters. Because there's there's some places where it should be a male pronoun for sure. Absolutely, and they yeah. can deserve that. There you go. Dave. Um, I just heard about a week and a half ago from a pastor that personally knew Eugene Peterson. And he went to see Eugene Peterson in his late 80s. The, he, he wrote, he wrote the, that me, the message paraphrase? The message translation? Yeah. Eugene Peterson did his personal devotions in the original language, in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Wow. Well, this pastor that said this, he's like, I had a whole new perspective of the message. Because this guy looked at the original translation, 
there's a lot of people to push away, push against the message, but I think it was less than a week ago, I had a passage I was stumped on. I went to ESV, <laughs> NIV, New King James, I mean, multiple, and I'm on my phone app. What's the message say? When I read it in the message, the light came on. Which, which is getting at what Mark and Lynette were saying there. It's, it's very helpful in that. As long as you, Eugene Peterson is, is bringing a, sometimes a certain interpretation. Mm -hmm. And that's why he called it a paraphrase and not a translation. Right. But I agree with you. Because of the integrity of the man, much of what he said I, I could feel really comfortable about. Yeah. But as long as I was comparing it to you know some of the yeah, other translations, it, but it, it just helped me to understand the. the it was yeah, it's beautiful. Some of the things he's yeah in our and vernacular and our. Bible app is so amazing. You can just quickly go to. I mean, I, I use a I use a hard copy personally. That's the way I like it. But when I get to <laughs> one of those places, I'm stumped. Absolutely. I use the Bible app to just go through all these different translations. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, the meaning of inerrancy, he makes it very clear on the bottom of page 85. And, uh, you know, you can get, you can get much more ver verbose uh, definitions if you want. <laughs> Just Google it and you can see how there's paragraphs on the definition. But his definition on the bottom of page 85, the inerrancy of Scripture means the Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. And then on the next page, he says, basically, in simple terms, it means the Bible always tells the truth. <laughs> it always tells the truth concerning everything it talks about. So, it, you know, that's, that, that's, that's helpful. But, yeah, Sandra. Do you, do you by chance have an extra book? I, I, I got one. The, the person I, I promised one to, they haven't shown up and they haven't followed up. Thank so, you so much. Yeah. And again, uh, I told them earlier tonight that next week we're having a test on it. <laughs> so, just... Yeah. Uh, so, that... that I, I, I guess I, I wasn't looking forward to tonight's class because I've never struggled with this. Uh, you know, the way I was saved, I read, I, read, I read a Bible verse and God just changed my life. And so I've always had a very high view of Scripture. And I've never, I've never questioned uh, whether it's true or not. But I realize not everyone, that's not everyone's story. But I, I was like, I don't really want to go tonight, Lord. <laughs> this is, uh, but I, I came. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that that definition, I, I, I really feel comfortable with it. And you know, over the years, I've had to study some of this stuff. And and I, I there's nothing that's come up in in my life that I feel like that's. I've got to get through that. I've got to. I've got to overcome that. That's that's threatening my faith. I, I've never, never come across in any of my readings or the people that I've dealt with where something was threatening me and my belief in the Bible as is true. Well, I don't know if it's always so much that you don't believe the Bible, but when you come out of like you know, I came out of a Catholic background. You know, they don't teach biblical, you know, from the Bible, you know, it's like they, you know, like they put a sermon on, you know, well, that I was back in... The church says. Yeah, yeah, you know, they give, and then, you know, my brother, my point in time, he went, you know, seven-day events, and, you know, there's a lot of main goals that start hitting, but I never was in a Bible teaching 
church. And then when I found that, that's when things changed for me because I knew that was where I needed. I actually heard the word, you know, I actually understood what was good. But when you don't come out of that background, they tell you, well, you can't read that version. That's not close enough to the original. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you get confused and then you don't really know if what you're reading is truth or not because you get all these different inputs when it really should be when you learn the common denominator of is, you know, your salvation and God, you're going to come from different points eventually. But if you're all on that same main track, it's okay that the sites are going to be different. But when you grew up Catholic, you know, yeah. came out of an Italian Catholic Th home. Thank you. Thank you. There for was that. no, there was yeah. no other way. Your, your, your backgrounds <laughs> might very well influence your, like my, my dad growing up, he was never a very, he was a, a nominal believer at best. You know, I hope I see him in heaven. But, but he always, when I was growing up, he said, yeah, Jerron, you got to believe in evolution. you got to believe it's true. Yeah. You, you, you know, that kind of thing. And so some of, some of the things I've, some of the questions I've had, I've had to chase those rabbits because of my parents, yeah. what, they, what, they, what they taught me, you know. And so I guess where you're coming from, it depends on how you're relating to these these challenges or these questions and that's totally every every part of life's like that <laughs> you're responding to certain things that other people aren't uh, but in uh, in in the in the chapter here um, he, he's got the meaning of inerrancy and then he has several um, uh, ways of saying the Bible can be inerrant in in, in like number one on page 86 it, it can be inerrant and still speak in ordinary ordinary language of everyday speech, and uh, so in in your outline, the handout, um, I, I I tried to say alleged types of errors in the Bible, and and maybe you can add to this, but uh, just it helped me to type out the different uh, claims of errors, like scientific errors, and uh, on your outline uh, statements that conflict with facts, so-called facts about reality we have learned through scientific investigation has there ever been like a real scientific argument that's really thrown you for a loop or, or a fact yeah evolution okay big big not yeah. a fact i mean there's absolutely no i mean where's the proof that where is the fossil evidence for the change you know so we still haven't found the missing link um also i i the thing that gets me about scientific investigation i came from kind of that kind of background and um, the thing that gets me about that is that science has a certain amount of faith in it always sure. and what we know now could very well be changed in the next two years ten years 50 years yeah as far as yeah. quote unquote facts are concerned yeah i, I hear science so. can be looked at as a religion in its own self correct and people yeah. do Follow it in that oh, yes. way, oh, absolutes. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you're saying um, the the dogma of evolution has has been a challenge. It's for a lot of people, right? And and so certainly when we hear scientific facts um, out there that the in in the general media and in the general world, the way it's put is like, how could you not believe all these facts? Right. And so, but then but then there's all kinds of questions that we need to ask about those facts. Right, which could be skewed, you know, yeah. if you look at statistics, they can be skewed several different ways. Yeah, yeah okay. Are, are there other scientific things that, uh, facts that you've been presented with that have really kind of 
you've struggled with? Some of the, I guess it'd be carbon dating. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, carbon dating, the, the age, of, age of things. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the decomposition of, of elements, how... Well, it fossilized things. I mean, yeah. some people say it takes millions of years, but under the right condition, can it happen in, you know, 30 years? Yeah, and that, that's, yeah, there's, there's various questions out there. Um, Groot, yeah. Uh, Grudem, uh, Grudem says that uh, he's talking about, the, he doesn't really get into a lot of scientific arguments such as these. I think later in the book, when we talk about creation, he's going to address some of these, and, and he's going to point us to various resources that we can look at. His emphasis in the book is, is more on the language we use uh, to describe things. Um, the, the Bible's use of non-scientific language to describe the natural world doesn't mean it's wrong. And so the way we describe the phenomena of, of the world, the, the natural world, uh, because it, we, we could describe it as um, the earth rotates around the sun, but from our, our vantage point, it looks like the sun's rotating around the earth. And he's saying that's just the way we talk. That there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not trying to be absolutely precise about such things. Uh, and, and we can understand that. I mean, if we really wanted to talk in technical language, you know, we could. But in, in general terms, it, it's not necessary to say the rain is falling. Well, maybe from a different perspective, we could describe it differently. But uh, we're just... Yeah, it could be rising. It could go sideways. I think Forrest Gump had the, the rain that was going sideways on him <laughs> in, the, in the, the war scene. But uh, um, So his, his argument, just because a number isn't precise or a measurement isn't as detailed as it could be, doesn't mean it's not true. Our cultural values precision in certain areas, but statements or claims can be true without having to be to our preferred levels of precision. And so I... I I found an example, a uh, chronological example, uh, uh, from Genesis 15:13. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. Okay, so that's a quote from Genesis 15:13. But in Exodus 12:40, it says that the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So was was God wrong? In in uh, um, telling, telling Abram that uh, it would be 400 years and, th and then they're actually there 430 years and then we get to Acts Stephen's chronology of the Israelites uh, their stay in Egypt they were, it says they were enslaved for 400 years in Acts 7-6 uh, it doesn't coincide with the accounts of, of, of Exodus um, the 430 years and so I, I found just a, a simple uh, argument the difference between 400 in Genesis and Acts and 430 in Exodus is relatively insignificant to the point. Probably God was rounding things off when he made his prophecy to Abraham. Because did Abraham care? <laughs> it was, was this particular author's, author's point. And so in, in that regard, um, you could say there, there's a, an error there if you're looking for uh, 21st century precision or if you're an engineer, or you're uh, a, a timekeeper of some type. But there's, so, there's many examples like that where it's not, um, it's, it's still true, even though it's not precise. 
uh, God, when he wrote these, some of these things, he wasn't trying to, it wasn't precise in that culture. It wasn't that important to the point. And there are places in the, the Bible where they repeatedly use 40, and 40 was an idiom for a long time. There you go. It doesn't necessarily mean exactly 40. Yeah. Just like in French, if you hit your head, you see 36 candles. Yeah, a cultural idiom. Something standing for something else that everybody understands. So, 40 years, 40 days, it's standing for something that the insiders know what it means. It definitely means a long time. A long time. Yeah. So the, the cultural the culture within it was written are, are interpreting the interpretation of the Bible, the, the original culture matters a lot. What the original authors were giving to the original readers, that that's where we start our interpretation from. We we don't come from an engineering point of view in the twenty first century and or or uh, you know a, a, a lawyer's uh, uh, perspective you know about getting down to the nth second of when it happened. So that just just an example. Uh, I don't know. Uh, some some of the big ones we're going to talk about. I, I think when we get to creation, you know, the the age of the earth, the age of things, and wrestle with some of that stuff, and that that'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, so so some people say there's scientific errors, and and uh, maybe if you if people ask you, you know, tell you that they think there's scientific errors, ask them where they are. Ask them what they are. What scientific errors are, have you found? Maybe a lot of them, I think Grudem is saying a lot of them are just how you describe things. They, they say, well, the, the Bible says the earth is built on pillars. And that's a poetic picture of things that the, the worldview of the people, it's reporting the worldview of the people. It's not saying that that's what God says, the, the earth was built on pillars. Yeah. Well, the Bible uses a lot of metaphors and similes. For instance, Jesus said, I am the bread, I am the door, I am the gate. Well, he's not bread, he's not a door, and he's not a gate. That's right. So you just can't take things literally. That's if right. If somebody says, you take the Bible literally, I don't say, I say, no, you can't take the Bible literally. The Bible is truth, but you can't take it literally. It has allegory, it has metaphors, it has similes, it has all kinds of things that you cannot take literally. You'd be stupid. And, and it, in those in those areas where uh, where the Bible wants to be taken literally, right? You better we take it, take literally. it literally. But when it's obvious they're using metaphors, we factor that into our interpretation. Yeah. So a lot of the scientific struggles that people have, they're they're with the use of metaphor, allegory, uh, similes, things like that. Um, so the the next thing, historical errors. Uh, on your outline, mistakes in the historical record. People claim there's mistakes in the historical record, claims about events happening of which happened but which never did, and claims about events that would happen in the future but which never transpired. Uh, and so difficulties in explaining the biblical text should not be pre prejudged as indications of error. We should not attempt to set forth a definite solution to problems too soon. It's better to wait for all the, the data to come in. So this, this could be something, um, uh, well, can you think of an example of someone say there's a historical error somewhere in the Bible? I believe I've read that there's no historical evidence that uh, Jews were ever in uh, Egypt for 400 years. Okay, yeah, something like that. But that doesn't mean they weren't there. 
Yeah, so, so uh, th those kind of things, so they, there's automatically a jump. If there isn't, and, and again, our society wants, wants facts or, or wants, here, where's the data? Where's the information? And so if the data's not there, and, and, and the Bible's saying that this happened, but there's no data, there's no evidence, there, there's no uh, uh, way to trace it down, they're saying it's false. Where I think that's, that gets at the quote there, just because we don't have all the data, it doesn't mean it's false. And so that's where stuff like archaeology comes in and, and different uh, investigations. And case after case, archaeology eventually catches up with the biblical account, and archaeology and the Bible come into agreement. As Christians, we must be patient and not let our faith in God's Word be troubled by the theories of men. Archaeology has, has never proved the biblical account to be wrong, although in some cases it lacks the evidence to prove the biblical account right. As archaeologists continue to dig, we have more and more external evidence to substantiate the historicity and truthfulness of the Bible's record. And so just if, if there might be some things out there that have yet to be substantiated, but that doesn't mean that they will, they will, never, uh, they will remain unsubstantiated. Every year there's archaeological discoveries that, that uh, lend, lend to the truthfulness of the scriptures, that, that underline what the scriptures have taught us. And so that one way of looking at answering historic uh, claims of historical errors is, is to run down that path uh, of saying there's a track record where in the last, you know, since uh, Darwin, Darwinism came about, since, uh, you know, the Enlightenment came about, the, the Bible's been attacked again and again. And there's been all these attacks through, through the decades. And over the decades, we've seen so many of those attacks be uh, cleared up as, as ev new evidence has come forward or archaeological evidence has been found, um, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he runs down that path. Um, I don't know, any, any other big historical errors that you've heard about that people say the Bible is obviously not historical? Um, maybe, uh, maybe Goliath, you know, like, like, I, like one of our, our elders on Sunday, he was talking about Goliath, and he said, Goliath is nine foot four, right? And, and people like, no stinking way. You know, I don't know if that's, uh, that would be a historical error, uh, but it sounds like it to me, you know. And, and okay, so, yeah, we, we don't have a lot of evidence for that, but does that mean it could never happen? And, and maybe if, if the measurement, the measurement that we're, the cubits, like there's different types of cubits in history, <laughs> that w which cubit are you referring to uh, as a unit or, you know, like, over, over the, the centuries, I think a, a yard has been different sizes or meters have been different, not meters, but yards, or, or, or uh, they've changed over time. So some of those questions to go back and look and say, well, uh, by that standard, you know, maybe it's not saying that, but by that standard, he's still a giant. It's questions like that that we have to wrestle with. And, and I think if, if we have all the data, if we have all the information, we're going to find that the Bible is telling the truth. Is, that's Grudem's big argument there. I think the argument I hear most of the time is when people are approaching it from kind of this historical point of view is everyone's waiting for it to be proved false. And so because it hasn't happened yet, then there's just this big kind of hanging question of like, well, it hasn't been proved false yet. So they're, they're more like waiting for it to be. Oh, okay. On the other side, the, some, some people that uh, have a, a 
a non-theistic worldview would say, one day science is going to prove that the Bible is wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. So just like we're waiting for more data to support what the Bible says, there's other people saying, we're waiting for the evidence to come in. Yeah, there's definitely folks out there like that. You're right. Thanks, Jordan. In the Old Testament, when it's giving all these rules and they're saying, do the circumcision of the eighth day. And it's like, what's so special about the eighth day? Well, come to find out, they find out later on that the vitamin K level in the blood in a newborn is highest on the eighth day. You know, now in a newborn, they give you a vitamin K shot so they can go ahead and do that. Start the clotting. And I just find that, just that one little example about the reasoning of things being proven true, it just, in my mind, that is just like the perfect example. Yeah. Right, so there, scientifically, it's, it's proven, proven it. which is amazing and that's usually where I'm like see that's, yeah, that's yeah. yeah I mean you know forget all the other stuff I like that one more yeah. person but I think that you know the people that sit there and scrutinize it well why do they do this that hasn't been proven you know so there's a lot of that just and you know this vitamin K thing it's probably not that long ago that they figured that out you know so it takes about eight days for a baby to get all the clotting factors in place so that you did she just say that something yeah. like that yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So God I knew how long it took until you could circumcise a kid safely so it didn't bleed to death. Praise God. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of how the whole book of Leviticus is. All those rituals put in place. There were so many medical scientific reasons for it, but we don't. If I, I was thinking, I wanted, I wanted to get a dermatologist's uh, take on Leviticus sometime because there's so, so much advice in there that's really rock solid medically in terms of how you handle skin diseases. Wow. It's really good. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could market the uh, for acne for teenagers, Don. <laughs> uh, that, so, so again, if someone says there's all kinds of errors in the Bible, ask them what kind, and if they say historical errors, ask them which ones. And, and that'd be fascinating to see if they have something. And, and I guess what, what I wanted to say to you is uh, we have so many resources. Like, I've got this old book, uh, just hard sayings of the Bible. Every once in a while, I, I come across a little scripture that uh, I said, what, what's that about? What's going on there? And, and I tell you what, there's, in our day and age, you know, online and, and the, the print resources we have, Every, every question that anybody has ever asked about a possible discrepancy in the Bible, it's been covered. Every, every historical question that anybody's ever had, somebody's tried to answer it out there. And there's all kinds of solid sources that, that you can go to. Just a christianbook.com. Um, you, you, can, you can type in, and there's all kinds of these different books that you can purchase or all kinds of online resources, you know, from trusted authors. And so don't ever feel intimidated like someone's going to throw me a zinger, you know, kind of a deal. And they're going to leave me breathless. So when you're sharing, sometimes we don't share our faith or we don't inter interact with, with lost people or, or skeptics because we're afraid that they're going to pull something out of the box. What about this kind of deal? 
And you can say, well, I don't know the answer right now, but let me research it. Let me, let me dig in, and, and I'm going to talk with my pastor. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look into it some, and I, I promise you I'm going to bring you an answer at some point. I might not understand the technical language to answer it, you know, that, that, but I'm going to bring it to you. So let's keep talking. So Jerome, he has a wonderful personal testimony at the bottom he of does. 87. Is yeah. he going to take us to that? Yes, please read it for us, Don. This is good in speaking. Speaking from my own experience, I can affirm that during the last 48 years since I entered seminary, a seminary MDiv program in 1970, I have examined dozens of these, quote, problem texts that have been brought to my attention in the context of the inerrancy debate. In every one of those cases, upon close inspection of the text, a plausible solution has become evident. What a testimony. Yeah, and, and guarantee he's, he's heard them all. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, if, if you really are around a bunch of people that, that are really scientifically focused, there's books that are written to address all their questions too. So don't, don't be afraid of that. Uh, another area that uh, contradictions, and so I tried to type out some things here. Contradiction, what is a contradiction? Um, a contradiction of statements uh, is a combination of statements, ideas, or features of a situation that are opposed to one another. That comes from the Oxford Language Dictionary. Um, and, and so the, some people say the, the law of non-contradiction, which is the basis of all logical thinking, states that a thing cannot be both A and non-A at the same time. And, and I, I bet some of, the, some of the law enforcement people have heard some interesting stories. <laughs> How they were speeding and not speeding at the same time. <laughs> or whatever. Or we've heard from our kids about how the food got into the bed when they didn't bring it there. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so it cannot be both raining at the same time uh, and not raining at the same time in the same location. Uh, Etc. I don't know if I typed that out right or not, but anyway. Uh, so s some 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 examples maybe of maybe a, a example of an, a con contradiction of numbers that are typically pointed to. In parallel passages, Second Samuel ten eighteen speaks of seven hundred chariots, where First Chronicles nineteen eighteen the same account says seven thousand. What might have happened there that there's a contradiction apparent? Probably bad handwriting. <laughs> you know, numbers, yeah, or bad math. Uh, there's, there's, there's explanations there that are pretty simple to deal with. It's not necessarily a contradiction, but, but there, there's answers out there. An ethical example. According to 2 Samuel 24.1, the Lord was angry against Israel, and he incited David to commit the sin of numbering the people. But according to 1 Chronicles 21.1, Satan rose up against Israel, inciting David to number Israel. Uh, so which, which is it? Which do you think? How would you resolve that, that apparent contradiction? It's not the point. Okay. The point was, you're not to trust your army and how many men you've got. You're to trust God. <laughs> okay, they, that, that's, that was God's point, <laughs> right? Uh, but for people that struggle, like, which was it? The Bible says it's, it's this, and the Bible says it's this. How would you maybe get to 
answering that, that apparent contradiction. Could they both be true? Yeah. In some fashion? Where, where one author is describing it from this perspective and one author is describing it from this perspective? I think so. Uh, there, there's others like, uh, uh, like Judas. When, uh, did, did he die by hanging himself or did he die by following and his guts fell out? Uh, yes. <laughs> he hung himself over, a, over the edge of a cliff and when the rope broke, his guts fell Yes. <laughs> so some people really struggle with these, these apparent contradictions and they're, they're, they can be easily reconciled by looking at the bigger picture. Okay, and so uh, you know, like uh, some of these resources we have. If I if I looked up these texts, I might in this little book I might be able to find uh, one answer. And so again, never feel like you're you're speechless in these things. Never feel like you don't have the the a way forward. There are there are answers to all these questions and all these claimed contradictions. Okay. We, we're so blessed to live in this day and age. Just uh, Dr. Google's right there. <laughs> you know, it must be true. Which, good point, Anna, is, is we better check our sources. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's good. So uh, along those lines, some people think that the Bible has all kinds of contradictions when really it has a lot of paradoxes. And so this is a different, this is a whole different, uh, or different, line of thought, a paradox, seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition, which when investigated may prove well to be founded, to be well founded or true. And so a paradox example, and there's all kinds of different paradoxes you can come up with the Bible. Uh, Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works. And then Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. <laughs> so your light, typically, that's good living. You know, you're, you're, you're living in God's world and God's righteousness and, and uh, by His standards. You're, you're, you're loving people, you're loving God, etc. But be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. What? The, the previous verse told me to shine my light. Let everybody see. And this one's saying, be careful not to show your righteousness. What, what, what's the, the, the paradox there? What might be a potential uh, reconciliation? Don't be boastful about your righteousness. Do it out of pride. Look at me, look at me like the Pharisees. Right? Because it talks about your righteousness. Yeah. What's the purpose that you're doing it for? Yeah, what's the purpose? Is it to glorify God or glorify self? So that paradox is not really a paradox in my mind. But some people say, how could those be reconciled? And so, again, we, we can reconcile seemingly things that are at odds that are not at odds. If we give it some thought and we can dive into it some. Okay? But there are certain things. What's the most apparent in, in the last 30 years, the, the biggest paradox that people talk about so much? I, I'm maybe just in my lifetime that I've cared about it. <laughs> in terms of theology, what's a theological paradox that people talk about all the time? Or apparent theological paradox? Uh, controversial. Oh, okay. The, the, okay. The, maybe in what sense? Like that, depending on time. I know some people believe the rapture's already happened. 
Well, do people believe the pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, just the timing of it? And okay, so maybe there's some interpret interpretive differences there, but maybe it's, I don't know if that's a, necessarily a paradox. What, can you think of a, where people are buttonheads theologically about this view and this view? Uh, God's sovereignty versus human free will. Calvinism or That's been huge. You know, it's been so controversial. And I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I, I, I've frustrated people in the past uh, where, where, I, where I, I've, I've kind of come in my preaching. When there's a passage that talks about God's sovereignty, I'm going to preach it. When, I talk, when there's a passage that talks about human responsibility, I'm going to preach it. <laughs> I'm going to leave the outcome to God. <laughs> uh, that, that's been, but some people just can't, can't go there, and it drives them nuts. And so they press. And, and so there are, there are good ways forward to describe that, but that seems to be uh, a paradox. Uh, the, but there's, the terminology really matters. And there's a lot of mystery in Scripture. I mean, just the idea of the Trinity. Yes. Right? So if you're speaking to somebody that's a Jew, they're going, <coughs> Three and one at the same time? How could that be? Ex excellent. Great mystery there. How do we... So uh, there could be an explanation uh, that maybe our rational minds can't get to. You know, my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. Right? And so we trust him with some of these apparent paradoxes, even if we can't explain it to our satisfaction. Uh, could, could be a way forward. It's a good idea to learn to, to learn to love mystery. At least accept it. I'm learning to really enjoy it. Amen. Then I don't have to have the answer. <laughs> That's a good way. Yeah. It's a mystery. And, and faith, if, we, if this is a faith... God says there are secret things. Only He knows. The secret things. Yeah. The mystery. Amen. I think when we all get in the presence of the glory of God, we're all going to be floored as Isaiah was <laughs> at the truth of everything. When we see His glory, we're going to be overwhelmed. Amen. Thank you, Dave. I, I agree. Uh, verbal transmission errors, uh, stories and accounts passed orally resulted in details being changed. And, and uh, just because our culture is bad at passing on details and stories doesn't mean that ancient cultures weren't excellent at it. Uh, they, they could, and that's, that's the telephone game that Jeanette mentioned earlier. Um, uh, everybody know what that means? I think you've all done that in school. Just you know. So written transmission errors is the Bible's original writings were copied, errors crept in the, in the text. And that's kind of what we talked about here, about we, uh, it, it's, it's, it's real. It, it happens, but we can have a, a very high, high view of our, of our, of our scriptures. And that's, uh, I, I put a little uh, in, your, in your packet there, the reliability of the Bible. And this little chart, this came from uh, Josh McDowell. I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, but it's been around for 40 years, 50 years maybe. But so some ancient, ancient writings that our, our culture holds up as authoritative or holds up as, as trustworthy. And you'll notice there, like... Uh, um, I don't know. You could pick pick any of these, like uh, like uh, say Caesar at the top. So written somewhere in the first century, uh, the earliest copy, uh, a thousand years that we have today. 
Okay, there, there, there are other copies before, but we have one, our earliest copy is a thousand years old. Okay, and we don't have the ability to verify, we don't have the original manuscript, we don't have the original writing, we just have a copy. And, and we only have ten copies. Okay, so there's a great chance that error has been, we, we would find, if we had the original copy of, of Caesar, there's a great chance there'd be a lot of errors, copying errors, through the centuries. But we don't have any way to verify that. It's easy to forget that. His definition says in the original manuscripts, they're called autographs, that means the author wrote it himself. It's yep. the author that wrote it. So it's those manuscripts that are infallible. Mm -hmm. And that's how you explain anything that's crept in since then that might be conceivably be uh, a typo. <laughs> yes, sir. That, that's exactly right. And so you, the same thing for all these these ancient documents, and there's longer lists that you can find, but uh, a lot of the antiqui antiqui antiquity, the writing from antiquities, they're just, uh, we don't have a lot of copies. And on this list, that one, that uh, Demosthenes, uh, you know, we have 200 copies of that. But the time span is 1,300 years. So that little list uh, I, I, I typed out, um, and the manuscript comparisons. So, so some of the reasons, again, we can have a high uh, belief in the, in the authority of our Bible and the trustworthiness of our Bible that's telling us the truth. How many, how many manuscripts, like uh, I guess we're on one, two, three, page four of the outline. How many manuscripts, the more you have, the easier it is to verify or reconstruct the original. The complete copies of the Old Testament and how old is the Old Testament? <laughs> like 20, at least, at least 2,500 years old. Okay? And so we have more than 200 copies, uh, 8,000 partial copies of the Old Testament. And we have, like when the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, we really, and you can do a lot of reading about that, how like there, there's a pretty big gap between some of the books that we had. Okay, but then when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it really narrowed down the time frame, and it found out that our, our copies that were the that we had that were hundreds and hundreds of years old from the originals, or even thousand years old. When the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, we found out that when we had those much closer time frames for the manuscripts, there's almost no errors in in our in our our older copies or our, our newer copies. So be it. <laughs> okay, and so we we have we have all these copies, incredible amount of, of of manuscripts that we can compare and do this work of textual criticism. So by examining all these from different schools, different places, different writing centers, we can be very very confident that we have the Word of God. Okay, uh, so how old are the manuscripts? The older the manuscript, and the higher likelihood and accuracy and reliability. What is the time interval between the manuscripts? The smaller time, the smaller the time interval between the original autograph, the earliest copy, decreases the chance of error. Time intervals between original writings and the copies of the biblical writings are much shorter than than other ancient literature. Doesn't even come close. The interval between the dates of the original composition and the earliest manuscript becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible. And the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were originally written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament and the whole Bible may be regarded as firmly, uh, finally established. The Christian can take the whole Bible in his hand and say without fear or hesitation that he holds in it the true word of God handed down without essential loss from generation to generation throughout the centuries. 
So that's a pretty strong statement, but you know, I, uh, all the reading I've done, I, I feel that's really accurate and true. As far as I understand the, uh, you know, the technical details of things, um, that's really encouraging to me. I hope it is to you as well. Uh, this, this the final page in your packet there, I got it from, from, again, more resources. This is a 30-year-old book. Right, and there's there's more up to date books now, but this is a, a book of charts, and so that last page, uh, evangelical theories on inerrancy. Uh, we we're the one that we're looking at in Grudem. It's the, it's the top one, the complete inerrancy. Okay, so there's there's other viewpoints out there about what inerrancy means, and I think I think in in Grudem's book he he mentioned Daniel Fuller. He kind of wrestled against what Daniel Fuller was teaching. And so you can see what that is. So it's a nice, nice little chart. So I, I just say that if you if you want to go deeper in any of these topics, if you want to if you want to become your own nerd in these topics, become the expert. So many resources, and you don't have to go to seminary like you used to. You know the information age is incredible. You know uh, you you don't have to go spend three years or four years to some city to study these things because. The technology, it's right at our fingertips. And then the, 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 on the back page, theories of inspiration, if you're interested in that. So there's, just again, to show you kind of uh, the different ideas out there, uh, we, we would be the verbal and plenary inspiration down at the bottom in, in, our, in our study in our church. On this one? No, this would be uh, different theories. Like so, within within Christendom, all the different denominations, oh. and there's different ideas or theories about uh, uh, how how the Bible is inerrant. So we would say that we, we our Bible is completely inerrant, like on the on the left side of that chart, mm -hmm. and then it explains it. While others, maybe brothers and sisters in Christ, they would say, uh, really, it's irrelevant if the Bible's inerrant or not. It's different Christian views. Yeah, different Christian views. And, you know, uh, maybe we can summarize tonight's class. Why, why is it important for us to believe in the doctrine of inerrancy? What would be the problem with not believing? Uh, what would be the problem with believing there's errors in our Bible? Okay, ultimately a lack of trust. Well, there's a human tendency to pick and choose the things that you choose to believe. Mm -hmm. For sure. Which yeah. leads to pride and arrogance. Yeah. Where, yeah, where we put ourselves over the word. Yes. Pride and arrogance. Yes. Well, yeah. when we, if we believe that the Bible is truth, then we start believing that it's untrue. I mean, that's the other side of that, right? Say, say it again, Art. Because if we believe the Bible is tr the true word of God, if we thought that would, there was mistakes in it, then we think it's untrue. That's right. <clears throat> so any any movement historically that has started to question the er the inerrancy of the Bible, sooner or later they go down. Uh, like like some of our our universities that were traditionally Christian, Princeton and Harvard and Yale, once they left the authority of Scripture behind, yep. and that that would happen in our life too. If we don't, if we think there's, if we become the judge of the text instead of letting the text judge us, mm -hmm. so to speak, um, yeah.
Any, any other questions tonight or any final words on this topic? It wasn't as painful as I thought it would be. <laughs> Thank you guys for all your interaction. There was a, yeah. I don't know, I remember where it's based now, but there was a display in Colorado Springs, and it was kind of one of these things they took on the road for a while, and then I think it's back in Oklahoma now. It was just simply called Passages, and it was a, it was a, extensive history of the Bible from and how it was put together, Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, it went through all kinds of stuff. And you're walking through looking at all these examples and, and it was amazing. They took an old mall up there in Springs and set all this stuff up. And it, it was an all-day thing. Mm. We took our, our prayer group, our Bible study group up there, and we went through half of it and went to lunch and went back and wow. picked up the other half. But if we're, we'll try to get the information on it, but if, if you ever get a chance to go see this, we'll try to find out where it's based now, but it's amazing. It's, it's really cool. Well, what's the name of it again, Blaine? Passages. Passages. We got a video of it when we were, when we were there and some other information, and I was trying to look up some of the, see if I could find it, but it, it was, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Thank you. If you have the opportunity to ever visit Washington, D.C., the Museum of the Bible oh, yeah. is really interesting. Oh, there's a Museum of the Bible. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's just multiple stories of things. I mean, literally, it's a four or five story building just full of stuff. Okay. Nice. Maybe a class field trip is in order. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, for those of you who haven't been with us uh, yet, we, we have been singing a song to close. D does anybody recognize either of these songs? On page 107. <laughs> no, no. How, about, uh, how about from, uh, well, let's see. <clears throat> Was there a song we've skipped that you wanted to sing <laughs> from previous weeks? The one last week. The contemporary Here I Am to Worship? Page 84. Let's, let's close with a worship song. No, I hate you all. And uh, because I put Anna, Anna on the spot last week, she's not here. We got another Anna, though. <laughs> So praise God. <laughs> Aunt Anna Smith was here last week. Oh, we made her start. Yeah. Do you know the tune? No? You step down into darkness. Open my eyes. Let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. Altogether worthy. Altogether wonderful to me. Keep, keep going, okay. keep going. King of all days, so, so highly exalted. 
glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pause there. Lord God Almighty, we are so grateful. Those, those words in that song, they came from Scripture. They came that uh, through revelation. You, all, those, all those thoughts and concepts in that song, you, you gave those to us, Lord, in your true word. Uh, we do. We leave here tonight, Lord, uh, worshiping you and exalting you, that you would love us enough to uh, reveal truth to us, to bring, bring your word to us, that you'd love us enough to go to that cross for us and to die for us. We, we worship you tonight, Lord. We, we do pray that these, these, these classes, there would be application and outcomes and, and, and lives change because of, of our, our time here. So we turn, turn over the things we learned tonight and thought about tonight and the things that we, may we get, raise some questions in our minds. We ask, the Lord, that you would, by, by, by your grace, by your providence, by, by your intervention into our life, that you would, you would uh, cause them to bear fruit, Lord. And, and uh, yeah, help us, Lord, lead us, Lord, take us where you need us to go tomorrow, and we want to serve you. So we turn over our life to you and ask for your, your blessing tonight and tomorrow and the rest of our life in, in, in glorifying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.